0: Take your scriptures, if you would, tonight and turn to the Gospel of Mark. A lot in this text, and we're not going to cover every verse, but a number of them. I would encourage you tonight. you know, I hope this is redundant because I hope this would be true at any time, especially pay very close attention tonight um, this is a good message for us even as disciples and Christians to hear. Um, it's a parable that Jesus told. And uh, it's ver- very vital to every one of ours e- eternal life. And so let me read the text for you. You remember, oh, they still do it, or they used to do it for years. Remember the Verizon cor- commercial where the guy would walk around and say, Can you hear me now? Remember that? He'd walk around saying that, and they basically, because Verizon offered, quote-unquote, the best, and, you know, as far as connections for phones and such like that. Well, this is Jesus' test message. He was the test guy. This is the test message. And, and, and really the question, and I want you to know this ahead of time while we read I want you to hear this, because that's what we're about. Can you hear me now? Jesus is asking that question. And, and hearing is more than just using your ears. And you're going to see that in this text. And I'm going to make a lot out of it because I think Jesus did. And, and it's crucial. So don't tune out because you think you got the answers to these things already. Because you might be surprised that you don't. Um, so do you really hear Jesus? Think about that. And do you really hear Jesus in a way that you understand his message? And has re- have you responded the way he would want you to? All right? So let's look at that together. Mark 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. Often the the crowd would stand and Jesus would teach. That's what rabbis did when he sat down. He would sit down. A boat gave him good amplification. Everybody would be on the shore. He would be in the boat. It was better. He was teaching them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, Listen. Behold, and better my opinion, listen, look. I'm going to tell you why that's the way it should be, I think. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's the only paragraph in all the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that include that little phrase, let him, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. The only parable that Jesus says that in. And when he was alone, those around him with twelve asked, with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, so get that in your mind, there are outsiders and there's insiders. Everything is in parables. So that, and this is a quotation of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, where the seeing and hearing idea comes from. And the context of Isaiah 6 is crucial if you're going to get what Jesus is after. That they may indeed see, but do not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and should be forgiven. So it's possible to hear, but not really hear. So you can see, and not really see. That was true in Isaiah's day of Israel. And it was also true in Jesus' day. And I'm afraid, at times, also true in ours. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables, so you've got to get this one to get the rest of them? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, and the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They're scandalized, is the word. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. It goes without saying, after reading the text, it's fairly obvious, I would think, um, not everybody who hears Jesus' kingdom message and kingdom words has really heard his kingdom words. The, chapter 4 and verse 3, I referred to as I read it, says, listen hear and then it says look and i think he puts those two in there because when he quotes isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 that was their problem see they were listening but they weren't listening they were looking but they couldn't look they couldn't see and, and he wants them to say the insiders are different than outsiders and the reason the way that's true and i'm going to say it again later is because they see and hear differently okay So not everybody should be able to have seeing and and perceiving and listening and understanding. In the text, as I read it, I, I hope you figured this out. All four, and there are four, soils. Soils are your heart and your response to the things that Jesus says. All four of them have this in common. They all hear the word. Every one of them has the phrase, and when they heard, and when they heard. All of them hear, but the responses are just as much different as the hearing was the same, right? So in tonight, you know, out of, out of our audience, and, and maybe those watch, listening and watching at home, see, you may hear things, but a lot of people will not really hear them. You will see the truth and as it's communicated, but you, will, you may not even see it. And, and Jesus says the answer to that in other texts is this theme that runs through the Gospel of Mark called the hardness of heart, And here's the thing, and there's a number of them actually, that are quite scary when you put them together. Three times the phrase hardness of heart is used in Mark's gospel. The first time, not unsurprising, is Jesus is telling the truth about being able to forgive sins as well as to heal someone. And the religious leaders who were there in their hearts, they were very, very angry when Jesus did those things. And they plotted to destroy him. And Jesus said that the reason they did it was because they had hardness of heart. No big surprise to us, because we know the religious leaders were outsiders. They really, by and large, didn't believe in Jesus. But strangely enough, the other two uses of the phrase hardness of heart in Mark's gospel are not used of the religious leaders. It's not used of the outsiders that we would commonly refer to. Rather, they're used of the disciples, the insiders. The other two texts are Mark 652, in Mark 8, 17 through 21. And Jesus, on both instances, talks about the feeding of the 5,000 and how the disciples couldn't get the point of it. And the reason was because they had hardness of heart. And the verse actually reads this. He, this is his words to the disciples, Mark eight eighteen. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Now get this. You know what this means, Right? Do you notice this? You could actually hear Jesus in person and not be just a crowd person or a religious leader and hear him in person. No, you could hear him in person and actually walk with him and live with him every day for more than one year and you you still don't get it. That to me is a scary thought. The fact that you could have eyes but you can't see, ears but you can't hear. You could be with Jesus, hear Jesus, but never really get Jesus at all. Which leads me to this conclusion, and this is what I want to finish my time with tonight, that there is a saving type of hearing, and there is a non-saving type of hearing. Jesus, in my estimation as I study scripture, did not haphazardly choose parables as some teaching tool, just on random, if you read the Old Testament, you'll know that many of the Old Testament prophets used parables as the one that Jesus is using here. And then they backed up the words they said with symbolic acts. And some of them were, to us, crazy kind of things they did. and But they would back them up. Elisha and Elijah did it with miraculous things. Jesus follows that pattern. And with his words of parables And revealing the mysteries of God, he calls the mysteries of the kingdom. He backed them up with miracles. And sometimes they were symbolic things. He rode in on a donkey on the triumphal entry, which was symbolic of what Solomon did when he was crowned king. Jesus did that symbolically. But here's what I want to impress you with tonight. This sermon is a warning label. This parable The warning label is given in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. That you can have ears but not hear and eyes but not see. And that's what Israel was. And every time in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, parables were used. They were used by God and the prophets in context of indictment and judgment. So when anyone uses a parable, it's because there are some people who are already past seeing and past hearing. And God is using it to condemn them in their unbelief. So, Jesus is telling a parable because there are some people in Israel, the religious leaders being a lot of them, who do not hear the warnings. They've already made up their mind. And you know, in our day, we get warning labels, unfortunately, on cigarettes and other places like this. You know, the warning labels are like almost practically hidden, very small print. Have you ever seen the commercials where they tell you, oh, you take this drug, it'd be really good for you. At the end, by American you know, legislation, you're forced to say, and it has, and by the way, this can cause, and they go through like 20 as fast as they can, all the repercussions, you know, boom, boom, boom. And after that, you just go, why would I ever want to take this? You now that, that's how we do it in America. Jesus doesn't hide the warning labels with a very small print. He doesn't put it in the back. He doesn't say a list real quick. No, he spends his time on it. He tells stories about it. And he wants you and I tonight to know that if we really want to understand whether we are saved or not, if we want to understand if we have true faith, right? We have to know the difference between who are inside and outside. And can I tell you the difference is not whether they hear what he says. That they both have in common. The difference is how they respond to hearing what he says. One responds in obedience. The rest, in rejection. But not always obvious rejection. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's spurning the truth and the word of God, and and there's not much really interest other than shallow. But some of them, people, you're going to see in our text, two out of the three soils initially respond positively to hearing the message of the kingdom. But the end is anything but positive. Why is it then? Have you ever asked yourself, and, and I, I thought this, and he's okay with me saying it, Ed Koenig sat right there where Donnie is for 20 years in our church. I wondered, you know, and then the day he came forward, and Pastor Walker, he told me, I, I get it, I think I get it. And that, and that day in the front pew, he got saved. And I thought like, What? How many times have you heard this thing? I mean, many, many, many times. But see, he heard it, but he never really heard it. He never really heard it. How does it happen? Listen to me as I I, I quote these verses for you. Hearing spiritually, not physically, spiritually, is not natural, it's supernatural. You cannot hear in a saving way Unless God does something in your life. Let me read these two texts for you. John 60 and 6 and verse 60. When many of his disciples heard that, and that was that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood, which was a difficult thing, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And it's the same word. Who can really hear these words? In other words, they heard them, but they didn't get them. And that day, because they didn't get them, it says, and many of them walked with him no more. They turned back from following Jesus, which I'm afraid happens far more than I would ever want it to. The other one, if I could have you go back to, uh, I mean, turn a couple pages over, John eight forty three. Jesus said, verse forty two in John eight forty two. Jesus said to them, "If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God." and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Why is it that some people hear what Jesus says, and they believe, and many hear the same exact thing, but do not? Why? Here's what he says. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You cannot. And the, I, the word is to have the ability. Without the work of the Holy Spirit... People do not have the ability to come to Jesus and believe his word. That's why the scary thing is, is that you can sit in church for most of your adult life and hear and hear and hear and hear and never really hear. So what is the difference between those those two things? Well, let me try to show you from our text. Mark chapter 4, if you'll go back there. As I said a little earlier, two-thirds of the people, two out of the three soils, the rocky soil and the thorny soil, they at first respond positively, okay? But they don't stay that way, okay? Listen very carefully, I don't want you to miss this. Receiving the kingdom message with joy, and that's what it says of the, one, of the second soil, that they receive the word with joy. Can I tell you this? It's not enough to save you. It's not enough to receive the word with joy. Because in that text, and I'll show you in a minute, that faith is only temporary, and it's unproductive and doesn't bear any fruit. So, don't get me wrong, we should rejoice with the angels of heaven when sinners repent. And the word repent means to change. I I do love it when people pray a prayer and ask Jesus to save them. But I also pray that it would be real and lasting in their life. Any hearing that does not result in productive living is not a valid hearing. Listen to what commentator Craig Keener says. The only conversion that counts in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. Jesus requires a hearing that doesn't just capture your ears, but captures your whole being. Every single part of you. So why is it that people don't have the ability? Well, you could say election and all sorts, but let me say practically, there are three enemies that attack people every time they hear the word of God. And by the way, I'm just going to tell you up front, did you know since I started preaching tonight that you are in spiritual warfare? You know, every single time you come to church, every time you hear a Bible lesson, a Bible message, you have engaged in spiritual warfare. And I hope to show you from the text, because Satan wants anything in your life but for the word of God to get a hold of you. He doesn't want that, and he's going to do everything he can to stop it. He wants you to be bored with it. He wants you to hate it. He wants you to do, he wants you to not focus. Listen, he wants you to think about, I'm going to all kinds of stuff. And if you're listening tonight, don't let the kids distract you, Right? Because that's what he would love to have happen in your life. Look at the text. Enemy number one, when it comes to the word of God and responding rightly to it. If you look at verse 14. The sower sows the word and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. The path is probably the way that those who worked in the field walk through the path every day. And since they walk on it, the ground gets real padded down. It gets packed and they sprinkle a little seed along the way or it falls out of their pouches. And it sits right on the surface. In the original part, Jesus says it's right on top and it doesn't go beyond the surface very much at all because the birds come by and pick it up. In other words, they were interested enough to come to church for a couple times. They heard things. You know, it's set on the surface of their heart and of their mind. But it didn't go any deeper than that, he says. It's superficial and shallow. Soil number one is the path soil. It's it's a difficult one because they're picturing people that reject it pretty easily. Um, and one of favorite, Mark's favorite words used in the text, and these are the ones along the path where, the word, and when they hear, see, they do hear Satan immediately, and, and he loves that word. Mark does immediately. I mean, he is, he's right there. He knows the word has been sprinkled into their life, and they and they begin to hear it, and he doesn't want to waste one second of time, and he immediately comes and. Let this blow you away. It says, he takes away the word. See, their heart wasn't prepared soil. It wasn't ready for it. They they weren't ready to receive the Bible. They weren't hungry. They weren't looking for it. And because of it, they're not responsive. And because they're not responsive, here's what happens. Satan sees it, and he takes the word away that was sown, listen to this, in them. Luke adds in his version of this parable that the word that was in their heart. Do you know how scary that is? Some people hear the word of God and it sits on their conscience and it sits on their minds and on their hearts. And before it can really do its work in their life, see, they start rejecting it. They start doubting it. They, they, they don't really believe it. And Satan, listen to this, directly, it says, comes and he snatches and he takes the word out of their minds and their hearts. So how important is it that you hear the word of God? Can I tell you this? Frankly, your salvation is at stake in how you Listen. Your eternal life is at stake because Satan would like to do nothing more than steal it right away for you so it can't change your life. See, their salvation was so shallow, or I should say the word was so shallow in their heart that he didn't have to go very deep. He didn't have to prod very far. It was sitting on the surface. And Luke, I mean, Matthew adds in his version that he snatches away what has been sown there. Luke adds this, listen to this, and why is it so? Luke 8, 12, so that they may not believe and be saved. So it's not just Pastor Walker making it up. He says, you know why? It's dangerous to hear the word and not believe it and not act on it. Because Satan will take that little word that's been given to you and he'll take it away and he'll snatch it and he'll take it right out of your heart. Why? Because he doesn't want you to get saved. See, salvation, true salvation is twofold. Having Jesus in your heart and not having Satan in your heart. Both are true. Jesus gives you the word and you won't let Satan take it out because you're believing it. You're acting on it. You might say, all right, Pastor Walker, that's a scary thought. That Satan could grab something out of my heart, take it away. How does he do that? Well, I think the next two soils explain it. Satan sometimes directly comes and he snatches stuff out of your heart, and sometimes he comes indirectly and he uses other means to get you to not believe his word. And that's what number two soil is about. Look at verse number sixteen, and there are these are the ones who sown on rocky ground. Israel was—have you ever been there? Full of stones, full of rocks everywhere. Sometimes dirt is on top of the rocks. And so when you plant things, you put the seed, they go down a little base, but there's rock underneath, and there's no root system allowed to, to really grow. And it says, the ones on the rocky, when they hear the word, they listen to this, they immediately receive it with joy. In other words, they preach the gospel, that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you, and they have joy over it. And I've seen it happen, and I don't like telling these tales, but it's true. I've seen people in the pews, they come forward, they have tears in their eyes, and they get real, they're joyful oh, that Jesus is going to save me. But it doesn't last. And I love seeing people get joyful about receiving the gospel. But here's what the text says. Immediately they receive what joy, in verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, so they endure for a while. And the Greek word is Temporarily. So in other words, they talk like it, and they act like it for a little while. And for a while, temporarily, they're good with following Jesus. They're interested in doing what he asks. But unfortunately, it's short-lived. The joy is short-lived, because the hardships are not. The Bible says that here's what comes next. And here's what, Satan comes in the first soil, but something else comes in the second, because I think, although it's not written there, I think Satan indirectly uses means to get to people. The means here are, tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word. Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and for yourself, Paul said to the Thessalonians that he had to check on them, and he sent someone to find out how their faith was doing, because they were suffering for it. And he said, unless Satan would get a hold of your faith. See, he said, listen, I worry about people because one of the things that Satan loves to use, one of his favorite weapons to destroy the faith of people, is hard times. So he attacks God's people with hard times. And you know what the problem is? Is those hard times often make it easy for us to believe this lie. You Ready? It's really not worth it to follow Jesus. And people who initially respond favorably with joy and they look like, wow, this is a great thing. We announced it from the pulpit. Wow, they were so happy. So and so today came forward and they accepted Christ, and they're so excited, and you talk to them, and they can't help but smile. All good things. But temporarily so, time passes. And it becomes difficult to follow Jesus. And the Bible says those people in the text, here's the word, they fall away. And the word is the English word "scandalize." They get scandalized. You know why? Because here's what they say, and I've heard it verbatim. I never really signed up for this. I never really thought that being a Christian would mean this. And by this they mean, at times, all kinds of things. I didn't realize I'd lose my friends. That I started praying, I started wanting to go to church, I started wanting to do the right thing, and my friends all drop me. I don't have a girlfriend anymore. And, and my relationships, my family has a hard time relating to me, and the loneliness sets in, and the ostracization sets in, right? Family are estranged from them. They're not invited like they once were. Even their marriage becomes hard because they're saved, and now their spouse is not. And it's very difficult at times. Financial priorities. They find out that they want to give things to God and their spouse doesn't want them to. And they fight over it. Probably the most common one, I would say, is it gets hard because of the word of God because now lifestyle habits are challenged. They don't watch the same things they used to. They don't talk the same way. They don't go the same places. They used to drink and get drunk and now they don't do that kind of stuff. They were at the parties and blah, blah, blah and all the things that go with all that. And now they don't want to do those anymore, and no one accepts them, and they, don't, they feel out of place. They go home, they're out of place. They're out of place at work. They're out of place with their friends. I didn't sign up for this. I thought about the thing was the most important thing was me dying and going to heaven. And so in the end, they just want to stay religious and leave it at that. And so they come to Sunday morning thinking that they can claim fire insurance from hell. But that's all they're really interested in anymore, because what they were wanting Is a faith that left their life pretty much the same way it was, but with the assurance that when they die, they'd go to heaven. And here's what Jesus says they fall away, (laughs) scandalized by the requirements of what it costs to follow Jesus. They weren't ready for the cross part of it, they didn't count the cost. You know what Satan does? Sometimes he acts directly himself, comes and snatches the word which is so shallow in our hearts. Sometimes indirectly, you know what he does? It's not just Satan, but he uses the flesh. He uses your desire for safety, self-preservation, comfort, acceptance. So you got the devil, you got the flesh, and you know what the third one is already, right? The world. So you got the world, the flesh, and those are the three enemies that attack the word of God every time you hear it. Look at number three on the thorny soil of verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They also hear the word of God, right? So you've already seen the devil, you've seen the flesh, and now you're going to see the world. But the cares of the world, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. Let's unpack those just real quickly one at a time, can we? Cares of the world, cares is the word anxieties, deep concerns, things that really impress you and are important in life. Not because anxiety always means bad. It just means really concerned. Things that you can be concerned about. Not inherently wrong things. Not even bad things. But maybe even good things. And you care about your friends. And you care about your job and advancing and being successful. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently. Paying your bills, your mortgage. uh, Saving up for some sort of retirement. Pursuing educational goals. Participating in sports fixing up your house to be a little bit nicer, having a side business so you can make a little bit more money to enjoy some vacations you'd like to go on, having relationships that are meaningful. Your, and there's nothing wrong with all of those things. But Jesus says, here's what happens when the cares of this world become not just a good thing, they come, become the main thing. You know what they become? Distractions things that take up your time, your talent, and your treasure, so that spiritual things, which are most important, they become marginalized. They become things that we push out to the periphery of our lives. And instead of having Jesus at the center and having everything orbit around him in the solar system of our soul, just quietly, progressively, the erosion takes place in these people's lives. And there's no point where they intentionally just say, "Oh, I'm done with Christianity, I'm done with God." I don't believe that. It's not like that. It's over time. Here's what it becomes. The cares of the world, they just push Jesus out of the center to orbiting around what they really are concerned about. And it's not that they don't want him in their life. His life. They don't want him in, you know, out of their life altogether. But he's just not the main thing anymore. The cares of the world have taken over. There are people who don't lack knowledge about him. That wouldn't be hardly anyone here tonight. They lack commitment to him. See, spiritual things don't really matter. And here's what happens with us as adults and we let our kids do the same thing. Here's what happens. We get so involved in distraction things that are good but not the most important. Here's that. Jesus gets pushed to the periphery in our lives, right? Right? And we begin to wonder why when our kids graduate they don't want to go to school and why they're upset and why they don't think this way anymore and why they don't have the same beliefs that we have because we've told them all along, fit Jesus in when you can. When he's just convenient for him, then go to youth group and then go to church and then we'll do this and hey, if there's not something better to do, then we'll make that service. And we've kind of made Jesus something we add on as if we couldn't do without him. But the truth is, functionally, we have learned to live without him. He isn't a consideration in our decisions, minor or major. And we want to have faith in him without following him. And the Bible knows nothing about that. Nothing. We want to be in heaven, but we don't want heaven to be in us. Distractions, the cares of this world. Satan indirectly uses the world to do that. The second one. The second attack from the world is the deceitfulness of riches. And I would say this is the biggest problem we have in Americans, in American society, and in American Christianity. Here's what the deceitfulness, and and here's what it means. Money, hear me, money will lie to you. Do you get it? Money will lie to you. Here's what the lie is, one of them. That money can satisfy you better than Jesus, and we have bought it literally, literally no pun intended. We have bought into it. We believe that there's more security in having money and things than we do in Jesus. We have better happiness that things that money can buy than we can get from Jesus. And we believe the lie that if we hold on to the word of God, we will have to give up something that is actually better than him. And so guess what? We don't hold on to it. Unless it's convenient. And our kids don't hold on to it. And that's why there's this plethora of people leaving the church because they weren't holding on to it for, to begin with. We think we could have a better job if we just cut the corners. We're not going to hold on to the Word of God and have those kind of ethics and standards. We have to do what we have to do, Pastor Walker, to get ahead and to pay the bills. We have better friends, they're more fun than the stick in the mud Christians that we know. Better girlfriends or boyfriends, that is for sure. Grass is greener without the cross, isn't it? But Jesus has strong words for those who think that that is true gain. This very epistle and this very letter, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, says this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Parents, would you love it that your kids were a summa cum had a job at the highest levels of business, and died and went to hell? Then why do we act like it? Why do we act like those are the things that we can substitute as our children's gods or any of the other things this world offers? What can a man, Jesus says, give in return or exchange for his soul? And the answer is nothing. You can't put a premium on your eternal life. You can't, he says, Be careful because riches will deceive you. They're counterfeit. That's all it is. They don't really satisfy. The third thing the world offers is, it says in the text, verse 19, the desires for other things enter in and listen to this graphic word and they choke the word. The word means exactly what it says. It means to strangle You see in the text, it's dueling desires. See, now we're talking below the surface. We're not just talking about a Christianity where you patch some actions that religious people do to the outside of your life. Yeah, I open my Bible once in a while. Yeah, Pastor Walker, I go to the services sometimes. My parents make me, but I go. And I don't do this. And there's some things I don't do this. I'm not perfect. We tell ourselves. But we never see below the surface. See, it's the dueling desires. See, you are truthfully what you want. Did you know that Satan works not by dragging people against their desires, but with their desires? Have you ever read Ephesians 2, 2 and 3? You know how the prince of the, the, the world, the power of the air works? It says because he gives them their desires, the things that they want. And so one of the greatest allurements to you as an adult and to your teens who are growing up, you know what it is? That they become successful. <laughs> that they actually get what they want. They actually get the grades they want and the sports achievements they want and the life they want with the house and the picket fence and the two-car garage or whatever it is anymore that the American dream is all about. And he says, you know what those things do? They are battles in a spiritual warfare for what really You should want the most. And in the text, it says, and other things are sown among the thorns. These are those who hear the word, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness, and the desires for others enter in, and they choke the word. Let me ask you point blank. What are the things going on in your heart that have their hands metaphorically around your spiritual throat? Because that's happening. You can't see it visibly, But some things, perhaps tonight, have their hands around the throat of your marriage, the throat of your children, and of your life, and you don't even know it. Because little by little, they cut off the oxygen supply and your relationship to God. Other things. And he leaves it nebulously general. It doesn't say what the other things even are, but there's so many of them. It behooves us, doesn't it, to realize that this spiritual warfare is no joke. And what, what are they choking out? Well, here's what it says. The life out of you, literally, spiritually. It says, and when it chokes you, here's what it results is It proves unfruitful. And the word is to become. And over time, when they keep choking you and choking you, pretty soon you begin to care less and less about God until he's not in your life whatsoever. When I was growing up, we had a friend who, when she babysat other people's kids, they'd always ask, hey, are you bringing up any food that you would call a chokeable? I've never heard of that before. A chokeable and it was anything that your kids could put in their mouth, and they would not be able to swallow it very easily. And this, she called it a chokeable. I always remembered that. You know what? There's a lot of chokeables in our world. But we take them out of the box and shove them in our mouths and try to swallow them whole. And let me tell you this. They can't be chewed. You can't do it. Because Satan's device is to take them in your life and to choke you with them. Can I warn you tonight about the spiritual danger of barrenness? And that's what the text is, unfruitful. 2 Peter, don't turn there because I just want you to look at me and listen. 2 Peter chapter 1, listen to the text in verse 8. For if these qualities, and he's listed a bunch of them, are yours and increasing, not stagnant, increasing. There's a trajectory of the Christian life. And increasing. And they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. There's our word. Because you ought to avoid it like the plague. The moment that your life isn't producing any fruit, character fruit or soul fruit, winning people, if you're not producing anything, it's a scary time, it says. You are ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does it matter? Because he's going to tell you. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. Weren't we talking about not being able to see? You're so nearsighted, it says, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Here. For if you practice these things do them live them in your life you will never fall what does that mean for this in this way there will richly be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom you know who's insiders people who know the truth and do it they're obedient to it which believe, which brings me to soil number four last one and they're different. If you look back at Mark 4, if you're not still there. Mark chapter 4, there is the one good soil in contrast to all the other soils. This is what true faith in Christianity looks like. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones, again, the all here. But this one accepts it. Well, the other ones received it, remember, with joy even. But here's the distinguishing mark and bear fruit. This is the only crop of all the soils that had any harvest whatsoever. The difference is that their life demonstrated a change. They bore fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. I, I, I looked up um, farming in the ancient Near East during the first century, and if you planted seed and got back a 10-fold response from, your, from the ground in Galilee soil, you were doing really good. 30 would be phenomenal, 60 would be a great harvest. 100 would be the best you could ever possibly want. So you know what Jesus says? It's not that everybody produces the same level of fruit. Some are 30, and God blesses them and uses them and designs for certain things. Sometimes it's 60. Sometimes it's unbelievably awesome. And God uses certain of his servants in incredible ways. But here's what's true. Whether it's 30, 60, or 100, all of them bear fruit. It's not a question of zero, five, 10, 30. No, it starts at 30. Because here's the, here's the understanding that if you truly know Christ and you have faith and you, the Bible has had good soil, you landed on good soil in your life, that it will produce its fruit in your life. In your life. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 20, you will recognize them. By their fruits. Not their knowledge, not their theological acumen, but by the way they live like Him. That's how you'd know it. One minute. Pastor Walker, how can I better prepare myself for spiritual warfare every time I come to God's house and I listen to the word of God? Can I give you three quick things quickly? Ready? Application. Number one, take the Bible seriously. And I'm going to tell you this, I'm not trying to be rude. Most people do not. Here's how I know. Ask yourself, what do you do on Saturday night before you come to church on Sunday? If you stay up really, really late to watch a movie till 2 in the morning, you're not preparing your soul for the Word of God. You're not. What do you do on Sunday morning if you get up at 7 but don't come to church till 11? Read a psalm. Read the scriptures. Make your heart Can I say prepared for the soil, for the word of God, the seed of the word of God in your hearts. Take it seriously. Get your, so you're awake and you're alert. You're not kind of like, whoa, I should have stayed up and watched that third binge movie or whatever it was. Let your kids know this is important stuff to us. Your soul's at stake. So Saturday night, Sunday morning, here's what we do. I'm not saying read three chapters or something. I don't know. Prepare your heart. Take it seriously. Be in the Bible. Prepare it every time you hear it. Secondly, I would say take all the physical things you do and leading up to Sunday, all the events of your life, take them seriously. Because here's what you can't do. You can't care less about God all week long and turn it off and then turn it on on Sunday morning. It doesn't work that way. You had no time for him in prayer or the word, not much of your thought. You're so busy doing everything else. But Sunday's God's day. So you come to church it won't change you. Lastly, take your priorities seriously. What do you really want your life to be? What do you want your marriage to be? What do you really want your kids to turn out like? Picture yourself, your kids 30-40 years down the road, what do you want to say when they look back on their lives? That they did this or they were this? You take your points because what you invest in now is what you will get later. See? That's how we prepare our hearts for the soil of God's word. So again, all night, the question has been, what kind of soil are you? And that's what the parable demands. Which soil are you really? Please don't brush it off because I professed Christ when I was five, and I thought this, and I think this, because We need to know what the truth is, what soil we really are, so that we can have the blessed assurance that we sang about tonight. Let's pray. Father, your son said this that the gate is narrow and few there will be that find it. Few, not even some. Not even close to many, few. Father, may those words stir us tonight to, as Corinthians says, examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. Father, my goal tonight is not to shake security, but to make it more founded in what it ought to be in in Jesus Christ and his work by his word in our hearts through the spirit to have a changed life, a fruitful Christianity. I pray, God, that you give us the humility and the honesty to ask ourselves, what soil are we really? And then to act on it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.